Hey guys, welcome to Calvary HSM. We are a place where we want to make disciples who live and love like Jesus. So we hope you enjoy this podcast. Raise your hand and only raise your hand once. Be honest, honor policy here. If, if it's crew next for you, hands in the air now. Wow. Okay. Hands down. <laughs> I have a feeling where, where hoodie's going. Uh, hoodie, hands in the air. Dang, wow, okay, I did not have a clear uh, sampling from talking in the room. Hey, my crew neck kings and queens, still love you, still proud of you. I understand the subtle charms of a crew neck. No fuss, really simple, minimalistic, it's nice. Um, But a hoodie, it's like a scarf that you can put over your head, I guess. Uh, Hoodie people, why hoodie? What's the, you just shout it out. What's that? Pockets. That's a really good point, actually. Crew necks don't often have pockets. So it's not the hood at all, it's just the utility. Anybody else? Yeah. They look cooler. I feel like that's uh, in the eye of the beholder. Yeah, what's up? They're just comfortable. Yeah. What'd you say? You look more mysterious? Oh, insecurities. Oh, yeah, so you can literally cover up. And then if it's got the strings, you can like zoop, so people can only see this much of you. That's nice. That is nice. There is something really nice to be out in public, and it's like, nobody knows it's me. That's a good vibe. Uh, how are you guys doing this evening? Great. Uh, uh, Forgive me, I haven't even introduced myself. If I haven't had the privilege of meeting you guys, my name is Drew Walton. I'm the associate pastor here at HSM. Hi. I love you guys. I love you too, Drew. Thanks. Shucks. Um, Guys, it's October 1st. We made it. Fall is upon us. Uh, The sights and sounds of autumn are around. Anyone like smelling all the pumpkin spice candles and stuff in the air? Anyone had pumpkin pie yet? Be honest. Yes? What's the appropriate amount of whipped cream? All of it. Hide the pie. I like that. That's good. Now, here's the thing. Fall is um, an interesting transition. Really, like every time you enter a new season, there's a lot that comes with it. Uh, some good, some bad. Um, and now maybe you love school, but I would argue most of your bad is probably like school is a drag. Anybody like already had a really gnarly test or a paper or anything yet? Yeah, I feel. Um, this too shall pass. There will be a day where you take your last test and you're like, and you exit the classroom and you're done. It's a great feeling. He'll love it. Um, unless you love school, in which case, like, you can just go on and get, like, your master's and your doctorate. You can just keep going. If you've got the money, they will let you take the classes if you so choose. Uh, but here's the thing is, uh, that yes, it's like in the summer, you usually got more free time. Uh, you're uh, having a lot more, um, like, one-to-one or, like, small group social activities, right? But then, like, you hit fall and it's, like, school. So, like, the free time's gone. Maybe you've got a job, right? Like maybe you have like a tutor or a a coach or an instrument or something, right? Like your free time kind of evaporates usually in the fall. Um, But then with that, there's a lot more like large group activities, right? Like you've got like football games and dances. Anyone have Hoko yet? Yeah, (laughs) that was like a really like, a really like not stoked vibe on his Hoko not going well so far. I was like, how's Hoko? You're like, I went, it was all right. Well, if you've got upcoming homecomings, I hope that they go better than that. Um, one of the things we've got going here that's a large group thing, uh, actually the largest group thing we do, is Friday Night Lights, right? Very excited for that. I cannot believe that it's already this Friday. Don't get me wrong, I'm thrilled. I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. But your boy needs a nap between now and then. That's how I feel. It's been like a hurricane of a week. Anyone else just had like a crazy week? Yes. Yeah. I feel like I, I got up here, I feel like I need to like catch my breath for a second. Um, 
But fall is an awesome time. Uh, we've got good stuff, right? Like we're small groups are back in the mix. And so like if you're in a small group with us already, like you know the joy of like jumping in with your people again, uh, having that like week to week check-in, being able to hear what's going on in people's lives, getting into the real stuff. Maybe um, if you're going through something, having that support system built in where every week you can show up, right? Like just around the corner is like winter camp, right? Um, Thanksgiving, the food holiday is just like glorious. Um, I love the fall and I love it here at HSM. And actually, I don't know if everybody knows this, but like I grew up uh, here at Calvary. Like I was like a wee little baby. I came here when I was like four or five years old and I've um, been rattling around this place ever since. Um, and can I uh, be real with you guys? Like I grew up in this church. Um, and if I could be totally honest, um, I did not like church growing up. It was more something that, yeah. <gasps> It was more something that my parents like mandated that I do um, rather than something that I was like joyful to do. Uh, and maybe that's been your story. Maybe that's your story right now. Maybe someone like pulled up the curb and like pushed you out of the car and they're like, go to church. And so um, if that's the case, still stoked you're here, really glad to have you, but also like I feel cause that used to be me. Um, but here's the reality. And this surprises people who um, know me. Uh, but when I was young, when I was a kid, I was actually very shy. Um, I was not like, now <laughs> I see like Connor's like suspicious. I don't know about that. Uh, but it's true. I was very shy. Uh, like if you sent me into a room and you were like, meet somebody, I would be like petrified of that. That was not my jam at all, which is funny. Cause now I'm like the guy who will go up and like bug you guys. You probably, uh, some of you were probably bothered by me tonight. I was like, what's up? Good to meet you. Um, because I love people. But when I was a kid, when I was growing up, I was very shy. Um, my natural inclination was to be a worrier. I would worry about everything. I would tell myself a million stories about how everything was going to go cataclysmically wrong. And I would like prepare for it emotionally. Any worriers in the room, anyone just like naturally great at worrying. Yeah, I feel, and it's, it's exhausting, isn't it? Right. Cause you're really good at telling yourself those stories. And it's like 99% of them never actually happen. But I was such like a natural worrier. Like I was great at it. Ooh, a breeze just uh, came through the room. Um, I was not confident. Um, like I, like truly I was afraid to engage with people because I didn't feel like I had a lot to offer. I just kind of felt like I wasn't like impressive or I didn't add value and I didn't feel like, like maybe I could like fool people for a little bit, but if I like hung with it long enough, they would like figure out um, that I wasn't great. And I was also just like a naturally really fearful person uh, and not just like afraid of people fearful, but like, you know, that thing where you're like the last one to turn off the lights and you have to go upstairs and it's like you run upstairs because what if there's something in the dark, right? Anybody? Anyone still do that? Yes. <laughs> There is, right? It's, so, it's one of those funny things where it's like, I logically know nothing's in here trying to get me, but it's like, you're in the moment and you're like, but what if, right? That was always me. I was like a really naturally fearful person. And all of those things uh, were like a perfect storm for why I didn't like being a part of church. Now I grew up, I feel really blessed. I grew up in a Christian household. Like I was taught who Jesus was at a really young age. Like I feel like I had a personal relationship with God and with Jesus at a really young age. Like I prayed, that was a regular part of my life. Um, I read the Bible, that was a regular part of my life. But if you had asked me growing up, like, hey, would you rather just like remove church from the experience? I would have been like, yes, I would. And my parents made me go to everything. I was like in the kids' plays. Like I went to Adventure Weeks. Anybody go to Adventure Weeks in here? Back in the day, if you don't know what Adventure Weeks is, it's like a day camp in the summer for kids. Uh, they're adorable. And they're just kind of like herd around um, activities. But I was like an Adventure Weeks kid. Like I had to do the plays. Um, I had to go to camps, all of that. And I never wanted to be a part of it. I remember actually 
when the lights went on in my head and I found out that actually like how school takes a break for summer, I thought church took a break for summer. And when I found out that we still had to go every week, I was like, no, I was distraught about it. Um, because for me, especially at a church like Calvary, like I would walk into a big room of people and just be daunted by it. I was like, these people all seem to know each other already. Um, either like they all have their clicks or I was like, I don't vibe with these people. Like, I don't know, like if I, like if I actually have anything in common with them, like, I wasn't about it. Um, and so for me, I hit middle school. Anybody have like a really awkward middle school experience? Like anybody just like, it was like rough. Some, some people were just like really effortlessly cool in middle school, right? Like, you know, those people, you probably like looked at them jealously. Um, but like some people just seemed like middle school was easy and it was like puberty hit in just the right way where they never had an awkward phase. And it was like, everybody was trying to like be their boyfriend or girlfriend. And they just like had all the cool clothes, right? I was not that like middle school was rough. I was actually this tall as a seventh grader. Um, I'm six, four, but I, I went up and I didn't go out. So I was like dopey and gangly. I had these like big feet. I would trip over myself. I was clumsy. I was awkward. And when you're like shy and awkward and a giant, it makes it impossible to hide, right? Like you walk into a room and it's like, people can't miss like the tree that just stumbled in. And so I was like, it was just not fun. Um, I went to Medea Creek middle school. Anyone go to Medea Creek in Oak Park? No, so <laughs> we have a silent few solidarity. Um, and then um, when I graduated from middle school, instead of like, so Medea Creek is a pipeline to Oak Park High School. Um, but instead of going to Oak Park High School, we moved and I went to Westlake High School. Any warriors in the room? Yeah. Uh, everybody's like, I don't know how enthusiastic to be about anything school related tonight. That's fine. Um, and I went to Westlake High School. And here's the thing. I'm going to take a sip of water. Here's the thing. So when I went from middle school to high school, I transferred schools and it was like your quintessential, like new school, new me, right? It was like, nobody knew me. I had this like fresh opportunity to be whoever I wanted to be. Right. And I was sort of like being less gangly and awkward. I was like starting to feel a little bit more like, okay, like I know how to interact with people, like just a little less awkward. And in the summer going into my freshman year, um, I joined the football team and I had played sports growing up. I never played football. And so that was kind of like a new thing for me, but that's who I spent my whole summer with. And so when I started the school year, that was kind of my career. Um, and if you are familiar with the phrase like imposter syndrome, that was like exactly what I was feeling um, my whole freshman year. It's like somehow I've duped these people into thinking I'm one of the cool ones and I'm not. <laughs> It's only a matter of time until they figure it out. And so I, I remember just like trying so hard to belong, to fit in. And if you've ever felt imposter syndrome similar to worry, it's exhausting, right? And so I had told myself these stories about like, oh, if I belong to this group of people, if people perceived me this way, right? Like if I was like, got to sit at the cool table, whatever that means, like if I got to date the cheerleader, if I got to be like on homecoming court, like all of those things, I was like, that will probably unlock the thing that will make me feel great about myself and I'll be hilarious and confident and everyone will want to be my friend and I'll never worry about anything again and I won't have any social anxiety and it will solve all my problems, right? That was the story I told myself and you all know where this story's going. I got to the end of my freshman year and I didn't feel any of those things. I felt just as insecure, just as shy, just as much of an imposter and I remember looking around and thinking, these people are fun and these people are cool, but 
these people are fair weather friends. And if stuff got real for me, if stuff got difficult, I don't know that any of them would really be there for me. Um, and I don't know that any of them would really let me be there for them in any sort of a meaningful way. Like I had thought like, oh, if I belong to this group or that group, then it would like solve all of that um, in emptiness inside of me. Um, and it didn't. And I remember it was after my freshman year, going into my sophomore year, I had been signed up to go to summer camp. And I had one friend who was supposed to go with me. And like a day or two before camp, he was like, oh, I'm actually not going. And so I marched into my parents' room and I was like, mom, dad, I've decided not to go to camp. And they were like, Drew, we paid for it. So you're going. And I was like, no. And I remember going back to my room and packing my bag like angrily, like angry zipping. Uh, if you've ever had one of those moments. Um, but I remember like this whole time I was like not interested in church, but I still had a relationship with God. Like I would talk to him about what was on my mind. I would pray. I would read the Bible. And I remember that night I remember praying and just being real and saying, God, like, if you're serious about this church thing, like, it's not working anywhere else for me. Like, I still feel pretty empty. And I've been trying to do this just like just you and me thing. And I felt like it was enough, but maybe it's not. And if you're serious about church, if you're serious about your community, then I got to be real with you, God. And what I need, not just what I want, but like what I need is a friend. Like I need an actual person who I have something in common with beyond the fact that we both just happen to be a church. Like I need a genuine friend. I need someone that I enjoy spending time with. I need someone that we have common interests. I, I need someone that I think is cool and funny. Like God, that's just like where I'm at. Like if you're serious about church, like I need an entry point into this. Like I need a friend. Um, and I remember being like, amen, <laughs> and going to bed frustrated. And the very next morning I showed up to go to camp and the first person that I met was a guy named Sean and Sean was literally the answer to that prayer. Uh, I met Sean, uh, this guy named Sean Travis, uh, still know him, still a great dude, but Sean Travis um, was exactly the answer to that prayer. Sean was uh, someone that I had this instant like buddy, instant buddy relationship with, someone that I genuinely thought was cool. We had common interests. He was one of those guys that was like, the girls were like, Sean Travis, and the guys were like, Sean Travis, right? Like, he was like, I was like, this dude's awesome. Uh, and we hung out the whole week of camp and then camp ended and I was like, okay, we'll see if this was just like a camp friend thing or if this is like a friend friend thing. Have you ever had that? Where it's like, oh, we got like really tight at camp. And then like two weeks later, it's like, you act like you don't know each other. It's like, what's up? And you keep walking. And I was really just like, gosh, I hope that this is like a real friend because I need a real friend. Um, and he was a real friend. But do you know what Sean challenged me? In? And you know what he told me? He was like, Drew, if you want to grow in your faith, you need to be in community. Like you just, like, it's, it's a non-negotiable. You just need to be in community. He's like, you should join my small group. And I was very reluctant at the idea. I was like, ah, nah, I don't know. I had done a small group for like two months when I was a freshman and it kind of fell apart, <laughs> like out the gate. It was like both the leaders moved away within like two months of starting the group and it just kind of fizzled out. And I was like, I tried it. It wasn't for me. No, thanks. But Sean really challenged me. He's like, if you want to grow, uh, if you want to encounter God in new, fresh ways, you need to be in community. You should join my small group. Group. And so after he talked me down, <laughs> I finally was like, okay, fine. I'll join your small group. And guys, let me tell you, that group changed my life. 
Like truly, I would be a different person if I hadn't jumped into that small group. And here's what I found in that small group. It was exactly the community that I had been looking for. Um, it was people that I shared common interests with. It was people I could get real with. It was people who would get real with me. It was the people who would like hype me up when I needed a pep talk. It was the people that would get low with me when I was in struggle. It changed my life. And I encountered God in such a fresh way in community, right? And here's the reality is like, I was changed in that place. Like I went from shyness, like shy was my default setting. Like I was very intimidated to talk to people. I just kind of, if I could have disappeared, that would have been preferable. I went from shyness to boldness and that happened in that community. God changed that in me, right? Like I went from worry to peace. Like I used to be like, I could run the list of things that would go wrong. And God gave me the ability and healed that worry in me and gave me the ability to sit in peace and patience with uncertain futures. Like that happened to me in community, right? Like I went from insecurity to confidence, like truly. Like I went from thinking like, I'm not enough. I don't have anything to offer anybody. Like I don't feel good about me. I don't particularly like me uh, to confidence, to God made me the way that he made me. I've got gifts. I've got struggles, um, but I have something to contribute. That happened in community for me. And finally, I went from fear uh, to faith, truly in community. So here's the deal. Like we're in for six weeks. We're in the third week of it right now. We're in this series as a whole church, right? So if you were here this morning, you walked into any room of Calvary, um, you would hear teaching about the same things. It's what's our core values as a church and what's our vision for where we want to move uh, for the next few years. Like what's the vision that God's laid out for our leadership that we have this like white hot passion for like, this is who God's calling us to be. And this is where God's calling us to move. And we're taking six weeks as a whole church to talk through all of these things together to make sure that we're all on the same page about like, this is what we're taking aim at. This is who we're trying to be. This is the kind of community we're trying to build. And so each week we've been looking at one of the key statements of our vision series. And um, some of these, you'll see them written all over the walls of Calvary. Like over here, I believe it was last week, uh, we looked at God's people delight in God's word. Like if we're the people of God, if we're the family, if we've been adopted into the family of the God of the universe and he's given us all all of this information, this love letter from him to us, then it, what we need to do is we need to read that word and we need to love that word and we need to let it speak to our hearts and our lives, right? God's people delight in God's word. One of the other things we look at is how it's all about Jesus, right? Like Jesus is the good news that we celebrate. And this week, what we get to look at is something that's in the back of the room. Um, it's back there. There's like, you, it's dim, but you've probably seen it before. There's a pillar in the way, even if you could look back right now, but you've probably seen it. The statement is this. Life change happens in relationship. That's just a true thing in life. Life change happens in relationship. You can look for it other places, but you'll find it in relationship. And so that's something that we want to be about as a church. Like we want to be about chasing after, about investing in, about cultivating healthy relationships so that we can experience the life-changing power of Jesus. That's what we're about as a church, that life change happens in relationship. I found it to be profoundly true in my life, still to this day. The biggest life changes that I experience happen in relationship, not separate from it, not disconnected from it. And so let me read to you a statement from our highest leadership here at Calvary um, about what that vision is for how we will um, experience life change in relationship. Here's what our leaders say. They say, we see, we have vision for a church filled with with disciples who are relentlessly in their pursuit of God-honoring, life-changing relationships with other believers. 
We recognize that following Jesus is not meant to be done alone. And that only through relationships with others can we live out the commands of Jesus and experience the life to the full that Jesus gives us. In a world that's growing more disconnected than ever before, we're going to be a different kind of people. We're going to be the kind of people who willingly choose to do life with one another, to depend on one another, to pray for one another, to provide for one another, and to encourage each other daily. That's the kind of thing that we're trying to build here. That's the kind of people that we want to be. And that goes from every level of ministry through high school ministry down to the babies. Like we want to be the kind of community that are there for each other, that build each other up, that encourage each other, that walk through the hard stuff together, that call each other higher, that point out what's good, that maybe you don't see, that maybe other people don't see in each other. We want to do life together and we want to experience life change together because it only happens in relationship. And I don't know what every one of your stories is like. I don't know where you're at and your life experience coming into this room tonight. Like maybe you're right now in like the best place in your life you've ever been with relationships. Maybe you found your people uh, and they build you up and they call you higher and they walk through you, the hard stuff with you and they love you well. Um, or maybe you wandered in here tonight and you feel like you don't have anything even closely resembling that and you're desperate for it. You're hungry for it. And we believe that you can find that here. Um, but here's what we want to do. We want to take our time tonight and I want to look at a picture in scripture of how God does this, what it looks like to experience life change in relationship. And so um, if you've grown up in church or around the Bible, you've probably heard this story before. If you haven't, this is one of those awesome stories in scripture. Uh, my favorite thing, like sometimes people wander in here uh, or not just wander, sometimes people come here on purpose. Um, we love it when you do that. Um, but sometimes people come in here who have never been in a church before, right? And you're just kind of checking things out for yourself. Maybe you've heard a lot of people tell you things about Jesus or about Christianity, um, but you've never investigated for yourself or maybe even it's like your parents' faith and you're like, I don't know. I haven't decided if this is my faith or not yet. And you come and you've got questions uh, and you've just got your investigator hat on. And let me tell you, that's our favorite thing. We love when you guys show up with your curiosity. We love getting to tell you Bible stories for the first time. And so if anyone here ever is like, you all know in the book of Job and you're like, no, I don't know the book of Job. What's that? It, like, that's not something you ever have to feel like you have to hide. Like we love telling these stories for the first time. And so uh, what we get here, we're going to jump into the book of Luke in chapter five. Um, and Luke is one of the four gospels. It's one of the four accounts of the life and death and resurrection, the ministry of Jesus Christ, right? Like Jesus is fully God and fully man. Um, it, God decided to be incarnated, which means if you know, like carne asada, right? Like it means meat, right? Like incarnate, right? Is this notion of like God entered flesh, right? Like he entered into the flesh. He was God, he was divine and he was incarnated and he was fully God. And at the same time, fully man, right? It wasn't like he was like, oh, I got to figure out how to split the difference. I guess I'll go 50% God and like 50% man, right? No, uh, through the mystery of the power of God and his design and creation, he was fully God. He was exactly as his nature uh, demands that he be. And at the same time, fully man and had a fully human experience can relate to every detail of what it means to be a life. All of the joys and triumphs and all of the struggles and pain, all of the temptation and the tribulation. The one thing that sets him apart from us is that he was tempted just like the rest of us and he lived a perfect sinless life. The only one to ever do it. 
Right? And so we have Jesus, and he lived 30 years of his life before he even started his ministry, before he started going around telling the good news of the kingdom of God, before he ever performed a miracle, before he ever healed anybody. And then ultimately, he got to a point, he had a three-year-long ministry. Um, people were for him until they weren't. Um, him being God was a power threat to a lot of people. And there were people that conspired to kill him, to execute him. Now, nobody kills God without God say so, right? Like this is the gospel. And so it says that he laid down his life for us. He was a perfect, sinless offering. He did it willingly so that we could be forgiven of our sins, right? And so here's the thing that you need to hear. And I will say it over and over and over again until the cows come home. God wants to forgive us our sins. He does. Sometimes we, we go around life thinking like that we're on thin ice with God and it's like, oh, oh, if I sin one more time, that'll be it. And it'll be out of his presence forever. Like he's just waiting for me. Like that boss that's just waiting for you to screw up one more time and then you're fired, right? Like we have this notion of God sometimes, but God literally moved heaven and earth because he wants to forgive us. He wants to be in a restored relationship with us. There's nothing you could do to disqualify yourself from the love of God. He wants to give his forgiveness. He wants to be reconciled. And so Jesus comes to tell the good news of the kingdom, to give his life as a perfect offering of sin so that we could be reconciled with God, so that everything that divides us from God could be swept away and we could have access to the Father and experience right relationship with him. So he died, he resurrected, and he went back to heaven. Um, And that's the good news for us. Right? And so Jesus in his ministry is going around and he's preaching and he's teaching and he's performing miracles and he's healing. And as you can imagine, when people get word that there is a man wandering around who can heal you, everybody who had something that they needed healed flooded to wherever they heard that he was right? That makes perfect sense. Like, oh, there's a guy who can heal and you have something that you want healed. So you're going to go where the healing guy is, right? And so, but at the same time, it wasn't like share my location. It wasn't like post on Twitter, like, or X now. Uh, It wasn't like, oh, Jesus is going to be over in Newbury Park. And everyone's like, great, Jesus, we'll see you there at two o'clock, right? It was just kind of like word would spread. And then as soon as someone heard, people would just go in the direction, hoping that he was still there. And so here's what we have is Jesus is in the midst of teaching um, and he Healing. And in Luke chapter five, in verse 17, here's where we jump in. It says this, one day Jesus was teaching and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were there, sitting there, right? And so you have all of these people, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the religious leadership, um, the religious teachers, right? And you see religion um, come into contact with Jesus himself. Uh, You see that happen. It says um, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were sitting there and they had come from every village in Galilee and the surrounding area and from Judea and Jerusalem. And it says this, the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. The power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. And so you have religion encounter a person and the person is the person of Jesus. And what we see transpire um, is this, is that religion, let me, let me put it this way. Religion, like the Old Testament law, like the words of God, all of the commandments, all of the rules and regulations and all of that. That wasn't God like, whoops, that was bad. Let's try it a different way, right? Like every word of God is true and right and good. And so when we see like the law, the commandments of God, it was, here's the template for what it looks like to live a perfect God-honoring life. Here's the problem though. And you know this from your own personal experience, you know this from looking around the world and just observing the way things are, is that 
perfect isn't really in reach for any of us, right? Like God lays out this good, perfect law and says, okay, if you want to be right with me, if you want to have a right relationship with me and you want to earn it yourself, here's what it requires. It requires that you do this and do this and do this and do this. And it requires that you don't do this and don't do this and don't do this and don't do this. And if you want to try to earn it yourself, be my guest, but that's what it requires. And now here's the problem. Nobody can do it because none of us are perfect. We're all broken. Now that's doesn't mean that the law is broken. It means that we're powerless to do what it says. And so you have religion and then religion comes into contact with the person of Jesus. And here's what you need to know. Religion has no ability to heal you. It just doesn't. And sometimes we approach religion um, with the expectation of like, if I just do all the right things, and if I don't do all the wrong things, I can fix myself. Right, like I can earn it, I can heal me, I can be the before photo to the after photo, right? Like religion, when we approach religion like it's our healer, we always come up short because we're the problem in the equation. I can't heal myself, and so me just trying harder at something that's impossible is not the solution. Religion has no ability to heal. Jesus has the ability to heal. It says the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. And so the question is then, how do we experience the healing power of Jesus? We go on in the story. In verse 18, it says this. So there's Jesus, he's preaching, he's teaching, he's healing, he's performing miracles. And then all of the religious leaders are there kind of like with their investigator hats on. They're kind of like, what's going on? Who's this guy? Like, yeah, we're seeing some interesting stuff. Haven't fully decided what we think about him, but everybody's there spectating, right? And then all of the people who want healing have flooded into this home, right? Jesus just sets up camp. He moves town to town, sets up camp, and the people come to him. And so we're going to now zoom in on one group of people who show up desperate for healing. It says this in verse 18. It says, so some men in that scene, that stage that's been set, it says some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat, right? We don't know how many people were in the some men, right? It could have been like three guys. It could have been like 10 guys. It could have been like 20 guys. We really don't know. Um, but what we do know is that they somehow knew this man on the mat. I, I would say it's probably not a huge leap to think that they were friends with him, that they cared about him because they had to carry him on the mat. They didn't have like a pickup truck or like a minivan that they could just like drive to meet Jesus. And they had to carry him. They had to pick him up and literally walk as far as it took to get there. And so they have this man, he's paralyzed. They hear about a healer and they're like, we care about this guy enough that we will literally take our time. However, it was it a day, was it a few days? We don't know how far they traveled. That we will pick him up and we will carry him to this healer because we care about him. We want that healing for him. Now here's the deal. Life change cannot happen apart from relationship, right? This paralyzed man on a mat could not have gotten himself to Jesus alone if he wanted to. If he was highly motivated, he could not have done it. His life looked like this. He was paralyzed, presumably from an early age, maybe his whole life, um, which means that he probably was not educated in any way. Uh, he probably was never taught a trade. He didn't have any sort of profession. His job literally was begging. He would be out on the roads um, or out in the streets or in the town square, and all that he could do was ask people out of charity to keep him alive, to support him enough. That was what his life looked like. He couldn't have gotten himself to Jesus even if he was highly motivated. Life change cannot happen apart from relationship. He needed those friends to pick him up and carry his weight towards Christ. Here's the other thing. Life change begins 
when you let go of the idea that you can heal on your own, right? If that guy on the mat was like, no, I'm good. Nothing's wrong. Don't, don't worry about me. I don't want anything from you. I got it. I, like, I can heal me. There's nothing wrong. I'm not even paralyzed, right? Like, if he just, like, denied, 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 um, he never would have gotten to Jesus, right? Like, life change begins when you let go of the idea that you've got it all under control. Life change begins when you're like, no, I don't got it, right? Like, I've been trying. I've been in this cyclical pattern of behavior trying to got it, and I don't got it. Right? Like life change happens. It begins when you let go of the idea that you can heal on your own. In fact, in first Peter, it says this, it says, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he might lift you up in due time. In other words, that's the equation, actually, that God can lift you up. God can transform your life. God can heal you like that. He can do it whenever he wants. But what our job is, is humble yourself. Right? It doesn't say God will humble you when he's ready and then he'll lift you up. It doesn't say it's anyone else's job to humble you. Um, it doesn't say that like life circumstance will humble you. It also doesn't say the expectation is that you've just always been effortlessly humble. Right? The assumption is that we've got a pride situation where we want to believe that we can do it on our own, where we want to not present like there's anything ever wrong with us. Like we've got it all under control. Like we don't need help. Like I've got it. Like there's actually nothing wrong. I'm not struggling at all. Things are great. We've got this pride issue where we want to put up a wall and never let anyone see that we have anything that needs healing. And the scriptures say that our step is this, humble yourself, right? Like that thing that's like never admit that you have any weakness, humble yourself. Now that doesn't mean that you have to go around and like be a victim to everybody. That doesn't mean that you like, like kind of just like some stranger on the street is like, how's it going? And you're like bad, <laughs> right? Like that doesn't mean that, but it means that we need to be in relationship with God and with each other where we can humble ourselves and say, do you know what? I actually need healing from God in this area of my life. I've been trying and I can't generate the momentum to change on my own or I'll get a little bit. I'll get two steps forward, three steps back, right? It says, humble yourself therefore. That's your task. Humble yourself, right? It's something that you have to actively do. It's something that's uncomfortable to do. It's something that sometimes is embarrassing to do. It says, humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he might lift you up in time. And here's what I want to propose to you guys. If you feel like humbling yourself is below you, then healing is beyond you. Let me say that again. If humbling yourself is beneath you, if it's below you, then healing is beyond you. If you're like, I would never admit that there's anything wrong with me. I will never let them see this thing I'm insecure about. I will never uh, present to anybody that I'm anything other than like cool, calm, collected, steady at the wheel. If humbling yourself is below you in your mind, then healing's beyond you. You'll never experience that true healing, that miraculous healing in your life from God. If humbling yourself is below you, healing's beyond you. So let's jump in on this story. So this dude has this group of guys who care about him enough to carry his weight to the healer, right? And so they get to the house. There's like a huge crowd of people all wanting the same thing, right? It's kind of like a first come, first serve situation, it seems. And there's all of these people who made it there before him, right? And so it says, some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. And it says, they tried to take him into the house to lay him 
before Jesus, right? Like they're taking him in the direction of the healer. They get to the house. There's a sea of people. It seems like some sort of obstacle. And they're like, you know what? We're going to try to get him towards Jesus. We're going to carry him in the direction of Jesus. And we're just going to keep going until it becomes impossible. We're going to carry him in the direction of the healer. And here's the question I want you guys to ask yourself. It's a rhetorical question. If you shout it out, like, cool, we can have that conversation. But really, it's just for you to contemplate. But here's the, here's the question I want you to ask. You all presumably have relationships in your life. Maybe you're stoked with them. Maybe you're looking for uh, new friends, new uh, acquaintances, right? But here's the question. The people in your life right now, ask yourself this. Which direction are your friends carrying you in? Because they're carrying you somewhere, right? Like you're in relationship with people and maybe you've heard it said like you become the amalgamation of the five people you spend the most time with. You ever heard that before? Anybody heard that? Like you become the five friends that you spend the most time with. And they've actually found like on a psychological, like sociological level, that's actually a pretty accurate statement. Like you become the people that you spend the most time with. And so my question for you is what direction are your friends carrying you in? Like, are your friends carrying you in the direction to make you more self-focused, right? Like, are you just like all attention on me and I'm just going to think about me all the time and I think about what other people are thinking about me and I'm going to think about how I can get ahead and I'm going to think about um, what I love about me or I'm going to think about obsessively what I hate about me. Like, are your friends carrying you to be more self-focused? Maybe your friends are carrying you to be more insecure, right? Like maybe your friends put you down or maybe um, they are like prideful and they like to like brag about their accomplishments um, or they'll just like say things that are cutting, right? Like guys, we're especially guilty of this. We'll just like say the meanest things to our buddy. And there's like, there's like a, a, a realm where that's, it's like fun and playful. And then it'll be like the jab gets under the skin and it's like, Ooh, ow, that really hurt, right? Like those, those like cutting things, right? Like how like, you know how like you'll play with a puppy and it'll like scratch you and bite you and it's like, oh, that's fine, that's cute. And then it'll get that one bite in and you're like, ah, right? Like sometimes the, the real thing gets through and it's cutting and it's painful, right? Like are your friends carrying you to be more insecure, to not like yourself as much as before you met them? Are your friends carrying you to be more rebellious, to be more defiant, to be more disrespectful to other people, to be more dismissive or rude of your families? Like, are your friends carrying you in that direction? Uh, are, are your friends carrying you to throw away parts of how God made you, to like amputate parts of yourself and be like, this thing, this is a thing that I, I love or a thing that I'm excited about or that I'm passionate about, but it doesn't fit what they think is cool. And so I'm just going to cut it off and leave it behind. Like, are your, are your friends causing you and carrying you to leave pieces of who God made you behind just so that you can fit in? Are your friends carrying you to be more godless? Truly, like ask yourself that. It's not like, I'm not gonna like <laughs> stop you on the way out and be like, what's the answer, right? Like, this is for you and God to think about. But like, you look at the people in your life, are they carrying you to the healer or are they carrying you away from him? And on the other end of things, are your friends carrying you um, to be more encouraged? Like, do you have people in your life who will encourage you when you're feeling disheartened, when you're feeling de defeated, when you've had a rough day, like you have friends in your life that are like, hey, we're gonna come alongside you and we're gonna remind you that you can do, you're not defeated by this. Like we're with you in this, God loves you. Uh, maybe you can go further than you are giving yourself credit for. Maybe you can push harder than you're willing to push right now. Like are your friends encouraging you? Are your friends building you up? 
right? Like, are they um, reminding you what's good about you? Are they revealing to you what's good about you that maybe you never realized or you didn't think was special or important, but they're like, hey, actually, this is really awesome in you and I'm really valuing it. Um, Are your friends challenging you towards growth? Like, have you ever had a friend be like, hey, you've got more in the tank, like get up and keep going. Or like, hey, you keep joking like you're stupid, but you're not stupid. Like stop saying you're stupid, right? Like are your friends challenging you towards growth? Like do you have people in your life who are doing that? Do your friends celebrate your victories with you? Like when you actually experience a victory, when something goes great in your life, are they celebrating with you? Or are they like, oh, whatever, that's great. Uh, Or are they jealous? Or are they like talking bad about you behind your back, right? Uh, Are your friends um, getting low with you? in your struggles, like when you're having a hard time, do you have people that will get into the mud with you and get up under the weight of the thing that's pressing you down and say, hey, do you know what? This is really rough, but you're not alone and we're gonna get through this together. Like, do you have those friends? Are your friends carrying you towards the healer? Are they carrying you towards God? Like, ask yourself this, because here's the reality is your friends will determine the direction and the quality of your life. They will. You know, J.D. Lasky, if you've ever um, met or been blessed like, by J.D. Lasky, make a little noise right now. You know yeah, yeah. Is J.D. in the room right now? Yeah, there he is. Um, I love you too, J.D. Um, J.D. Lasky is an absolute legend, just like one of the wisest, funniest, kindest people. He's there for everybody um, in every circumstance. Like even people who are like 10 years out of high school ministry, they still call JD. He's the first call. He's just like the best dude. But JD um, has this saying um, that I've heard him say so many times. Uh, And so I'm going to start it and JD, if you'll finish it for me, because you already know what it is. Um, JD Lasky always says this. He says, show me your friends. That's right. Show me your friends and I will show you your future, right? Like I can tell you with some pretty precise accuracy, you can show me your friend group and I'll say, this is exactly who you're going to become. This is exactly where you're going to wind up. Show me your friends and I will show you your future, right? Who you surround yourself with is a very powerful decision that you actually have, right? Uh, Like we want to be friendly towards everyone. We want to be kind and loving towards everyone. But the people that get to be your inner circle, you should choose with great thought, with great care, because it will determine the trajectory and the direction of your life. Moving on, it says this. So they have their friend, he's paralyzed. They're trying to get him towards the healer and they hit the point where they're like, this ain't happening. In verse 19, it says this. It says, when they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they did not give up. It says they tried a different approach. They went up on the roof of this stranger's house. Like literally they were like, okay, we're not getting into the house. So we're gonna try the on the house approach, right? And so they climbed onto the roof. Could you imagine if a stranger started climbing on your roof? Like the odd audacity, right? I'd be like, get off my roof, <laughs> right? But they're, they're determined. They've got their friend and they're like, our mission, our marching orders is get this guy to the healer. And so they can't get into the house. They say, we're going to get on the house. And we don't know how we're going to get from onto the house to into the house, but we're just going to keep moving forward and we're going to take it one problem at a time. And so they decide to get this guy and get his dead weight, his like body weight. He's not helping at all. He's paralyzed to get it from the ground to the roof, right? So you can imagine probably like a few of the guys 
guys are like, okay, like you guys, I'll give you a boost and you'll like get up on the roof. And then we'll kind of like try to like cheerleader, like hoist him up. And then the guys on the roof will like pull him up and then like we'll get you on right. A whole undertaking onto the roof of these people, the stranger's house. It says that they went up onto the roof and then they lowered him on his mat through the tiles. In other words, they busted a hole through a stranger's roof because they were like our win, our only win. Like we can figure out the cost. We can figure out like the conflict resolution of like we destroyed this person's home. But our priority number one is come hell or high water, we are going to get our friend to the healer. That is what we're going to do. That is our whole mission. And so it says that they busted a hole through the roof and they lowered him down in front of Jesus. And it says right in front of Jesus. And it says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said, and he doesn't say the thing that you would expect. What you would expect is, because the whole arc of this story is these guys are trying to get their paralyzed friend to the healer. And so what you expect is that they're going to lower him in front of Jesus and he's going to say, wow, amazing that you got here. Be, Be healed and get up and walk. And he doesn't say that. He looks at him. He calls him friend, which is incredible. And he says, friend, your sins are forgiven. A different story, kind of a a curveball, like not where you thought the story would go. Um, But let me say this. Let me ask you guys this question before we go further. What if Jesus wants to heal you through your friends? Right? Like what if you are in a situation where you're like, I don't want to present any sort of a flaw or a weakness um, or any sort of a ailment, anything that needs to change in me, anything that needs healing. I don't want to pre- present it to my friends because I don't want them to think less of me or I don't want them to lose respect for me or I don't want them to be like weirded out or freaked out by this part of who I am. And the fear is if I let them see, then I will lose them. Right? Or I will like, they'll, they'll be like a step back. Right? Like, we won't be as close. They won't like me as much, or maybe they'll just be done with me altogether. That's the fear. That's the worry, right? That's the story we tell ourselves is if they know this, then they'll be out. But let me ask you this. What if God wants to heal you through those friends? Right? Like, what is the thing that you need, the thing that will speak to that thing that you're guarding so tightly is in the hands of your friends? What if God wants to use your friends to heal that part of you and you're withholding it and you're saying no thank you, not realizing that what you're saying no thank you to is to the healing that you're after. What if God wants to heal you through your friends? And the other question that I want you to ask yourself is, what if Jesus wants to heal your friends through you? Like sometimes we just look at our friends as like a good time or a companion or like, on, like if we're honest, like we spend a lot of time thinking about what other people think about us, right? And sometimes we go through life and we like, we want things from people and we forget to want things for people. And what if God wants to heal your friends through you? Like, what if you don't know it, but they're praying a prayer or they're feeling this empty space that they wish would be filled and you don't know it, but if you would look closely, if you would ask, if you would show up for them in a more meaningful way, what if God wants to heal them through you? What if? Because here's the thing, and we see this all through scripture and we see it all through modern day. We see it in the church and the people of God is that God uses his people to accomplish his purposes, right? Like the scriptures tell us that we are the body of Christ, right? And the hands and feet of Jesus, if you've heard it, that he has designed each one of us. If we're in Christ, you have a purpose, to have a function, to have a utility, to have a meaningful task in the world, right? That we can show up and represent Jesus in a way that is unique to us, that 
is built into the design of who God made you to be and you to be and you to be, that we are the hands and feet of Jesus. And when God wants to accomplish his purpose, he does it through his people, right? He's not just like, step aside, I got it, right? He could, but he wants to do it with us and through us because life change happens in relationship, right? And so God accomplishes his purpose through his people. God heals us from depression in relationship. It's not something you can do for yourself on your own. It's not something that you can like disappear in cocoon mode and then come back like fully healed from. He heals us from it in relationship. God heals us from anxiety in relationship. God heals us from addiction in relationship. God gives us purpose in relationship. God uh, gives us relief from exhaustion in relationship, right? God uh, gives us strength in relationship. God gives us wisdom for the future in relationship. It's not somewhere else. It's not something that you can just go and do and like manifest yourself. It's in relationship. It's how God designed it to work. God uses his people to accomplish his purposes. And here's what we do. When we're stuck, when we're faced with a challenge, what we usually do is we ask ourselves the question, what do I need to do, right? We go into like fix it mode. I do, I'm guilty of this all the time. Like my first impulse, when, I, when I, like a crisis finds me or something stressful finds me or something goes sideways, my first question is like, okay, I'm gonna go into fix it mode, what do I need to do? But in actuality, the first question we should ask ourselves is who do I need to talk to? right? Because I actually can't and should not face this thing alone, whatever it is. Like life is too hard to do alone. You're never designed to do it alone. We are built, we are designed to be social creatures. And so when we think, what can I do to change this situation? That is an important question, right? Like sometimes we have work to do. Sometimes it's like, okay, actually I need to like make the call and do the thing. Or sometimes I need to like put the thing in the place, right? Or sometimes it's like, I need to do the assignment or I need to find a new job, right? But that shouldn't be our first question. Our first question should be, who do I need to talk to, right? Like, how can I do this in relationship? Because that's the way that you face it and you don't get overcome. And so Jesus looks at this man and the first thing that he says is really interesting. He doesn't heal him. He's not like, stop being paralyzed, get up and walk. Magic from above. That's not what he does. He calls him friend and he says, your sins are forgiven. Let's see where it goes next. In verse 21, it says this. It says, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this guy who speaks blasphemy? How, who can forgive sins except for God alone? In other words, they're upset. They've been watching, trying to figure out what to make of Jesus. And Jesus just made a declaration of like, I'm God. I do what God does because I am God. So if you've ever heard someone say like, oh, Jesus never actually claimed to be God. A hundred percent he actually did. And he did it in multiple places. And this is one of them, right? He's claiming to be God. He's saying, you're forgiven of your sins because your sins were affronts against me. I'm the one who has the right to forgive them because you sinned against me, right? Like your sins are a debt you owe me. Your sins are what divides you from me. And he looks at this man and he calls him friend and he says, your sins are forgiven. But the Pharisees are upset because they're like, this guy's not God. This guy is a blasphemer, right? This guy's telling lies about the divine. They say, who can forgive sins but God alone? And it says, Jesus knew what they were thinking and he asked, why are you thinking these things in your heart? He says, let me put it this way. Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or to say, get up and walk. But I want you to know this. 
The son of man, he's talking about himself. The son of man has the authority on the earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, first he said your sins are forgiven. And then he says to the paralyzed man in front of everybody in, in an act of defiance against this idea of like religion, right? Of like, you can do it yourself. Jesus says, I call you friend. I forgive your sins. And he says to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. And immediately he stood up in front of everybody. He stood up in front of them and he took what he had been lying on and he went home praising God. And now it's an interesting thing. It's important that we notice this, the order of things. He came to be healed, but first he was forgiven. He came to be healed, but first he was forgiven. And here's why. Because life change happens in relationship, but life change begins with a right relationship with God. Right? Like in order to experience the power to heal from Jesus, he had to have a right relationship with Jesus, which meant Jesus had to move aside all of the obstacles between them. And that wasn't something that that man could do for himself. That's not something that I could do for myself. And that's not something that you can do for yourself. That rests in the hands of Jesus. He is the one that we have sinned against. And he is the one who can look you in the eye and say, you might think, you might worry. Your deepest fear might be that I hate you, but I call you friend and I forgive you because I want to forgive you. I love you. It is my whole mission. It's the whole reason I'm here is because I want to forgive you. I want to have a right relationship with you. And once that's out of the way, I can heal you. I can draw you into this community. I can draw you into relationship with me and with my family and I can heal you. But life change begins with a right relationship with God. God forgives the man so that there's nothing between them. And then he heals him. Romans tells us this, it says, God demonstrates his love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In this story, it says this of the man, he was healed and he goes home celebrating and praising the God who saved him, who healed him. And it says, everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen a remarkable thing today. So here's the question. They all said, we have seen a remarkable thing today. That's not something we've seen before. We didn't know that could happen. Maybe we've heard stories or maybe we've seen something like similar, but less than, but that was remarkable. Like everybody left talking about it because it was something that astounded them. My question is this, do you want to see God do remarkable things in your life? Like, is that something that you actually desire? Because what we know is that if you want that, then it is a prerequisite that we get into healthy relationships because life change happens in relationship. And so here's what I want to do. I'm going to invite the band up. Um, you guys can set up and get ready. And we're going to close this in a second. But I want to leave you guys with some really practical things to think about, about how do I get into relationship? How do I lean into relationship? This is my high school ministry, Relationship Essentials. And truly think about this. Like, consider this. I want you to go home tonight and consider, are these things that I need to do? Is this my next step? Is this a step that I need to take? Is this something that I need to be about? If you know that life change happens in relationship and you want to be about being about being in relationship. The first thing is this, the first ministry essential is this, maybe you need to commit to meet someone new every Sunday, right? Like maybe you need to come here on Sundays and choose I'm gonna be brave, right? Like maybe you come here and you've got your preset group of friends and you just talk to each other and it's great because you love them but it's also your safety blanket because then you don't have to talk to any of the scary people that you don't know and risk embarrassing yourself, right? Or like saying a not cool thing or maybe you like go up and you say hi to someone and they roll their eyes and they don't wanna talk to you, right? There's no risk in just staying with your friend group but life change happens in relationship and maybe you need to commit to being brave and say I'm gonna commit to meeting someone new every Sunday. 
every time I walk through those doors or those doors, I'm gonna be brave for one minute and I'm gonna go meet someone new because life change happens in relationship and maybe I need them in my life or maybe they need me in their life or maybe both, but life change happens in relationship and I'm committing to it. I'm gonna commit to a minute of courage every week. I'm gonna meet someone new. Maybe you need to prioritize your small group. Maybe you've never even been in a small group before and this is news to you and I wanna encourage you to jump into a small group. Our small group form stays up all through the year, right? Like small groups launched a few weeks ago and that does not mean that you've missed out on small groups for the year. Maybe you need to prioritize small group. Maybe you need to join one if you've never been in one. Maybe if you're in one, maybe you need to get serious about going. Maybe you're like in a small group but you haven't been since last March and you're like, yeah, I'm in a small group but you don't go and you're not experiencing any of the life change that happens in relationship because you're not in those relationships. And maybe you need to prioritize going to small group. Maybe you need to bring someone to Friday Night Lights, right? Like this Friday, we kick off Friday Night Lights and Friday Night Lights is literally designed that we can open our front doors to people who would never come to a church for any other reason. And we can open our doors and we can say, welcome, we are so glad you're here. Like we designed Friday Night Lights. Yes, it's fun. Yes, we like fire pits and we like food and we like nine square, but we designed Friday Night Lights so that people who think, Nobody in a church would ever want me around. For people who think I've got a reputation that would disqualify me from a place like this. I've done things that there's no way God would love me for. I've done things that there's no way Christians would like me if they knew about this. We've designed a thing like Friday Night Lights so that we could prove them wrong and we can roll out the red carpet and say, you have a place here. You're welcome here. We love you. And yes, it is chaotic. Like maybe you come into a thing like Friday Night Lights and you're like, this is loud and scary and there's too many people here and it's chaotic. And that is something that we do joyfully. It is a calculated risk. We cannot control everything that comes in here. It is safe. We have security. We have dogs, all that. But we love these people enough that we will take the controlled chaos because we love them and we want them to know that Jesus loves them and God wants to forgive them. We don't have condemnation for anybody. And if you're here in the room and your picture of God and your picture of church is that everyone's just waiting for me to mess up or to show my hand so they can tell me and they can confirm my suspicion that I'm not worthy of love, that's not something you'll find here because that's not God's heart. God wants to forgive you. He wants a right relationship with you. That's who he is. That's what he does. And that's what we're about because life change happens in relationship. Maybe you need to commit to attending camp. Maybe you're like, church is great, but like being in continuous days in community is like daunting. Uh, That sounds scary. Maybe you need to commit to that. Maybe you need to commit to applying for a mission trip for 2024. They said it earlier in the service, I'll say it again. You have until midnight tonight. You have not missed your chance. If you're like the way that I grow, the way that I go deeper in relationship, the way that I uh, change my heart, the way that I uh, bust through my insecurities is a mission trip, you haven't missed your shot. You have until midnight tonight. Go home, talk to your parents or your guardians and fill it out and sign up and see what God does. Maybe you need to join your campus ministry. Maybe you need to go to FCA or your Christian club and you're the person who you're like, yeah, I love Jesus, but I don't wanna be seen going to the gym or I don't want people to see me going to the pool deck and maybe you need to commit of, do you know what? God has more for me in it than I have for me out of it. So I'm gonna commit to go or maybe you need to ask a leader to meet. Maybe you need to talk. Maybe you've been carrying something around and you've been carrying it by yourself and the weight of it is crushing you and you need to talk to someone. Maybe your next step is grab a leader and talk to them. Set up a time to meet with them. Ask for their number. Ask if you can grab coffee. Grab them after the service. Talk to someone. 
but life change happens in relationship. It doesn't happen outside of it. And so here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna pray and we're gonna turn our attention to God in worship. And if you need the prayer wall, go to the prayer wall. If you need to talk to someone, talk to someone. But God is worthy of our attention. He's worthy of our affection and he wants to forgive you and he wants to heal you. Pray with me. Jesus, thank you so much for who you are. It's all about you, God. And thank you that you've given us the gift of relationship. Thank you that you want relationship with us, that you want right relationship with us, that you delight to forgive us, that you made us and you want us the way that we are, warts and all, but you don't want to leave us there. You love to heal us. You love to set us right. You love to bring transformation into our life. And you've invited us into community so that we can experience it there. And so God, would you keep blessing this community? When people come into this community, would they experience life change? Would they experience love um, that's different than anything they've gotten from the world? Would they experience encouragement? Would they experience um, partnership? Would they experience who get up on, people who get up under difficulties with them, who will sp- support them, who will cheer them on? God, who will roll out the red carpet for them. God, would you let us see and experience life change in this community? We love you, Lord, and we thank you, and we pray it in the healing name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for watching this video. Join us on Sunday at our 11 a.m. or 5 p.m. services in person. You can also like and subscribe to receive more resources on how to live and love like Jesus.